Welcome, everyone, to episode two of the Holy City Hoops podcast. I'm Tommy Glasgow, and I want to start by thanking everybody who listened to episode one. That was my chat with Coach Grant. Special shout out to everyone who subscribed to that on iTunes, and especially any of you who followed us on Twitter and other social media channels. Be sure to do that if you haven't already. Also, be sure to check out holycityhoops.com. Not only can you find the podcast there, but our blog as well. My pal Cullen Baldwin is previewing each of the Cougar players that are going to step onto the court this season. First up is the guards, so you can go there to read about Grant Riller, Marquise Pointer, and some of the younger players that are going to see playing time in the backcourt this season. Up next, though, is my chat with Brian Mull. If you follow CAA Hoops on Twitter at all, you definitely know Brian. He is an absolute expert on the Colonial Athletic Association, and he was kind enough to join me for the better part of an hour to go through his projected standings team by team. We discuss each team in detail for a couple minutes, and then we wrap up by going over our projected award winners. So enjoy that. Basketball season is going to be here before we know it. All right, we're now joined by Mr. Brian Mull, the authority on hashtag CAA Hoops, to come in and, and preview some teams. Uh, you can catch Brian on Blue Ribbon. He did the CAA preview for the Bible of college basketball there. Also on College Insider, The Athletic, lots of different writing spots online. Brian, how you doing? Yeah, doing well. Hope you are. I appreciate, uh, appreciate you having me on, and it's a great time of the year. Uh, college basketball will be here before we know it. Basketball season is here. Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, the CAA is having their media day and they will be unveiling their picks for uh, the projected standings as well as the award winners. But we're going to go off your your rankings, Brian. I read through your blue ribbon rankings and I agree with most of them. I'll toss you up each one and we'll go from 10 to 1 and, and break everybody down. How's that sound? Sounds great, and uh, uh, nobody hold me uh, <laughs> hold me too accountable for the picks. Uh, we always do the best we can, but there's always a few surprises in the CAA, it seems, every year. There is. There, there's always a few. I have my eye on a couple that I think are going to make a jump, and I, I'd be interested to see who yours are, but let's get into it. Right off the bat, a little bit of a disagreement. You have Drexel number 10. And I, I want to know why you have them at the bottom, because I have somebody else there. You know, I just um, – I don't know who their guys are going to be. I mean, certainly Kirk Lee is a good player. And, uh, you know, Harper has got to shoot the ball better. And, you know, they turned to Isabel so many times down the stretch last year. But really the reason I had them at the bottom is because they were atrocious on the defensive end. And uh, – yeah. I just don't anticipate them making a significant improvement on that on that end. And in one season's time, they may get a little bit better, but I just don't know that they have the personnel. Uh, Spiker is adamant that they do, that uh, there's more blue-collar, you know, kind of tough-minded guys, team-first guys on the roster this year. So we will see. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, somebody had to be intent, and uh, the Dragons just seemed like the team uh, that, that needed to go there. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to be in the basement uh, because, as you mentioned, the defense in a, in a league that already has UNCW, William & Mary kind of bringing up the rear on the defensive end, Drexel was actually statistically worse. So not a good place to start defensively. I, I, I kind of like Kirkley. Um, I have a, an affinity for sub-six-foot point guards, uh, and he, he's an exciting player to watch, but I agree. I mean... Tremaine Isbell going to, to St. Louis really hurts them. I actually think Austin Williams uh, leaving hurts as well. I mean, they weren't a great rim-protecting team last year, but you know they didn't have Williams for the game they played in Charleston, and you could totally tell his, his absence was missed. When, when we played up there, uh, he was a, a beast protecting the rim against you know our, our, our guards who were penetrating, and I think that's a big loss, but... You know, I, I have faith in, in Kirk Lee um, and, and some of the newer guys they have. And if, if they can step it up defensively, I think they can be, you know, maybe maybe not 10th, but, uh, you know, maybe maybe contend for a, a buy spot if, if everything breaks well. 
And, and it could very well be a year, uh, much like last year, when you look at the bottom half of the league, where you had four teams at six and twelve, and then another team at seven and eleven, and a and, and even a sixth team at eight and ten, uh, where you know when you're when you're talking about the, the the gap between the say the fifth or sixth seed and the tenth seed in the conference tournament, it's not very wide at all. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the school definitely has faith in Spiker. They signed him to that four-year extension last summer, despite not great returns in terms of, of wins and losses. What do you think needs to, to break for them to uh, to get better? Is it a secondary score behind Lee? Is it just uh, defense? I, I think it certainly starts on the defensive end. I think that Demir has the opportunity to give them you know, an inside scoring presence. I was very impressed with him early in the conference season last year, but his production tailed off down the stretch, maybe got tired or was a little banged up. I'm not sure, but they're going to need him to really give them an interior score night in and night out. So they're not so reliant on the, on the perimeter shot. And uh, then they're going to have to have one of these unknown newcomers step up, whether it's uh, Zach Walton, you know, the junior college transfer, who, who comes in with a, a reputation as a big time scorer, or, or one of the freshmen? They have they have a trio of freshmen who uh, you know could figure into the rotation, but uh, they, they certainly are going to you know. Let's assume Lee's going to give you twelve or fifteen every night, and maybe Harper's going to give you ten. They need a third or fourth guy in double figures, and, and they have to uh, get markedly better on the defensive end. Yeah, it seemed like a stamina issue with Demir. He seemed to be drifting out to the perimeter toward the end of the season there. But I, I agree with you. I think he has the talent to to step up as a front court player, and we'll just have to see, uh, you know, which of those newcomers can can kind of give them something. No doubt. All right, moving on to number nine. This is the team I had as the floor. Why don't you tell us who you have at number nine? The Towson Tigers. Pat Scary's squad has a uh, basically brand new roster. Yep. <laughs> Anyone who, uh, for the you know ninety percent of the guys that played the significant uh, minutes and and scored the points and got the rebounds last year are gone, one either via transfer or graduation. And Pat, you know, kind of hit the junior college market and the transfer market. Had a big high school class come in as well, and it is going to be very interesting to see what he can make of this squad. Uh, you know, he, he felt like they really strayed from their blue collar roots last season and, uh, you know, kind of took on an identity of a team that could score a little bit more easily, but at the same time was, uh, was not doing the little things that you have to do to win basketball games. And the season kind of slipped away from them after that terrific start, you know, they had in the non-conference and early in the conference season. So, yeah, I mean there there's there's no clear separation there between Towson and Drexel, but I, I just feel like uh, Pat's got a little bit more of a track record. That's a good point. You know, live by the transfer, you know what <laughs> by the transfer. Pat brought in a, the Jarrell Benemans and the William Adalamotos of the world, and unfortunately uh, he loses two good ones in, in Zane Martin and uh, Justin Gorham. But yeah, I mean, like you said, brand new team. It's it's pretty much Alex Thomas, Dennis Tunstall, Jordan McNeil, and a bunch of new guys. And and it's not like any of those three were really lighting things up last season. The identity of Towson was always this tough to score on, fist fight, beat you up kind of squad. And it felt like last year, it just turned from you know, a tough style of play to almost like a disjointed, sloppy, couldn't get the offense going type play. Did, did you see any of that down the stretch? No, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, the chemistry, uh, you know, they started out kind of relying on their depth and uh, using a little bit more full court pressure than they had used in the past. And they got away from that. And the, the, Any time I think is, is a, a clear sign of trouble with a basketball team is when you get into late January, early February, and the rotation isn't settled. You know, If it becomes unclear who's getting the minutes and, and who's playing what role, that means the coach is trying to send messages or searching himself, and that rarely leads uh, – you know, that's more more often than not uh, a sign of a dysfunctional basketball team. And, you know, Zane Martin attempted a ton of shots. I think he was top five in the in the nation in field goal attempts. Uh, but uh, how much did he impact winning? I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, yeah. But they're going to miss – I mean, they, they have – 
I mean, only role players returning, as you mentioned. And uh, anytime you're you're basically asking two, three, four newcomers to come in and carry the scoring load, that that's a mighty big ask in a league like the CAA. Absolutely, and and that's why I I would put them tenth. Just a, a few more question marks than Drexel. Who's their point guard going to be? Who's their leading scorer going to be? I don't see an obvious starting caliber transfer uh, this season. So. For that reason, I, I would put them 10th, but certainly don't have a problem putting them 9th. Yeah, Pat was very uh, – he's very high on Sanders, the the transfer from Duquesne, uh, where he you know, wasn't a hugely productive guy a couple of years ago, but, I mean, a 5-5 five and five type guy. But he, he's that big, skilled, four-man, good athlete that they've had in – Arnold Moda and, and Benjamin before that and, and kind of the next guy in line, if you will. But, uh, you know, can he basically triple his scoring average and double his rebounding average, which is what Towson will need him to do? That remains to be seen. He did shoot 60% with the Dukes on, on a pretty bad team. So um, maybe that's a good sign, but they're going to need him to be a 30-minute-a-game uh, leader on, on, in, as far as in the box score. Um, from from the beginning, yeah, it looks like Scary's got a, a a bit of a rebuild on his hands, but you know he's he's already turned that program around, so maybe it is best to to have some faith in him. Moving on to number eight, who you got? The Elon Phoenix, who, if nothing else, will have the shiniest new arena in the CAA this season. Yeah, the the Shar Center, right? Beautiful. I was uh, actually. Uh, displaced up there, evacuated during Hurricane Florence. I'm a Wilmington, North Carolina resident, and uh, a friend of mine is the uh, coach of the men's golf team at Elon and was kind enough to – he had a property there that uh, my family was able to to use, and we were up there killing time, and I toured it, and it's unbelievable. Uh, They're going to open it with a visit from North Carolina. Of course, they're very excited – uh, that game sold out, and tickets are going for well above face value on all the various outlets. Uh, but it's it's phenomenal. Um, not only the arena itself, which seats about five thousand, but just the surrounding facilities, uh, practice center with the courts for men and women's teams, uh, unbelievable uh, locker rooms, and just all the bells and whistles that you could want right there on campus too, which they, they feel like will allow them to have a a big student presence and. Um, you know, draw in some more of alumni and just basketball fans from from that triad region. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be probably the nicest arena in the CAA for the time being. Uh, I've seen the renderings and it looks looks pretty sweet. Now, the Phoenix, a lot of people were high on them this time last year. I think picked to finish third. They were expected to be this contender. They were bringing everybody back from a pretty solid team. And what went wrong last year? You know, they... Uh, Matt said they did a lot of Matheny, uh, their coach. So they, you know, they did a lot of soul searching kind of after the season, both uh, as a coaching staff and um, with his players and individual meetings with them and, and as a group. And they just kind of lost sight. I think, you know, Matt's been there and they improved each year. They were in the Southern conference and they kind of moved into the CAA and they were at the bottom and, but they had to reset it and recruit a little higher caliber player. And he was able to do that. And they were gradually moving up. And I think everyone in the program from top to bottom just expected last year, as you said, that they would just continue to ascend. And it's just not that easy. I don't know. There was a, there was a few injuries, a key injury to Dana swoop, their point guard, who was a very mm-hmm. uh, a key ingredient, and he shot the ball very poorly in conference play, but he was never full strength. And uh, you know, a guy like Santa Anna, who has ability to, to score twenty on any night, just had too many nights where he he was unproductive. And uh, you know, those are two of their key guys. Of course, Sebring is one of the best players in the conference and continues to be. But um, and and then Brian Dawkins, uh, is, you know, looking back at last year, uh, he had a terrific year the season before, and then last year uh, battled some injuries himself, and 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 really, uh, that's when they hit the skids when when he was out of the lineup. Yeah, I agree. I, I spoke to Matheny a couple of years ago at Media Day to to talk about the transition and and the types of players you have to recruit in the, the SoCon versus the CAA, and Santa Ana and Sebring were were two guys he brought up. Um, you know, as as guys who were a little bit more multifaceted uh sebring was kind of a 
a legit stretch four when he came in, and he's really rounded out his game. I kind of expected a, a bigger year from Santa Ana. He he went from kind of microwave score off the bench to last year. I'm expecting him to be, you know, amongst those other talented, you know, wings in the conference. And it seems like he still has that inconsistency. He, he does. There's uh, I don't know about his uh, his buy in necessarily all the time. And um Maybe uh, maybe that's something that going into his senior year that uh, has been addressed or um, he is willing to take on a, a, a different role. Um, and another thing with Elon, too, like uh, two years ago in the 16-17 season, they were one of the better defensive teams in the CAA. And then last year, all of that progress that they had made slipped away as well, which kind of also um, – you know, just speaks to a disjointed team, a team that's not really firing to get working together, firing, doing the little things that you have to do to win basketball games in a, in a conference where basically the talent is, uh, you know, it's pretty evenly spread around. You know, I think, I think he, Elon's got a lot to prove this year. They certainly are going to be picked near the bottom based on the way they finished last season, but um, have the potential to be a surprise team. I think so too, you know, New stadium is always a, a an adrenaline kick. It seems like great season opener against UNC. Hopefully that carries them the rest of the year because down the stretch they seem to, to kind of fold. Um, the last couple games, I think they lost ten to twelve. Didn't seem to be to be all there in terms of focus, like you you mentioned. So we'll see what they can do. They I mean, they still return a lot of talent, uh, with, especially with those two guys at the top. So uh, we'll see what we we get from the Phoenix this year, but. You have them eighth. Who you got seven? Number seven is Delaware. The Blue Hens with Coach Martin Inglesby's third team there in Newark. And uh, Blue Hens are an interesting group that uh, lost a <laughs> a very good player in the offseason to transfer in Ryan Daly, who was the rookie of the year in the CAA a couple of years ago and uh, transferred to play his final two seasons back home at St. Joe's short drive down the road to Philadelphia. And um, so you kind of can focus on that with Delaware, or you can look at the fact that uh, they return a kid in Kevin Anderson, who was on his way to most likely being the rookie of the year last year before he, before he got injured on Christmas night or, the, or maybe the day after Christmas. And, um, and, and then they also have Ryan Allen, who, who uh, had, was the rookie of the year and had a phenomenal season. So, uh, anyway, some young, talented guards. Uh, Martin Inglesby has proven he can recruit those. And I think with Anderson and Allen, they may have as good a backcourt as, uh, you know, as anybody this side of the, the Charleston Cougars in Northeastern. Probably the best young backcourt in the CAA. I totally agree. I, I thought Kevin Anderson was going was gonna to take home rookie of the year before he got hurt. And lo and behold, his classmate goes on and, and wins the award. I would argue Ryan Daly's probably the biggest transfer loss in the CAA. I mean, if, if I had to put it between him and Isabel, I might I might give the slight nod to, to Daly just because of his defense and rebounding. So you could look at that, but that backcourt's really good. I really like Eric Carter, too. Uh, Eric Carter, pretty underrated in my opinion. I know a lot of people talk around the, the big men in the league, and they start with Kaycock, Brantley, and Knight, but Carter's very skilled. Um, he took the CFC front court to school a couple times last season with those up and unders, some hooks, some pump fakes. I think Carter's good, good backcourt. I, I, I think these next three teams, any one of them could, could make a jump up, and uh, and Delaware certainly uh, is is a one that's likely. No doubt. I, I felt uh, seven is, is kind of the basement for them uh, would not surprise me uh, whatsoever. Uh, I, I'm with you on Carter. He's kind of an old school throwback post player who is uh, diversifying his game a little bit. They're going to use him away from the basket where he can step out and stretch the floor at times. And uh, they have another freshman guard that they're very high on that's going to play right away and Ethel Horton who's from uh, New Jersey, Roselle Catholic program up there, and they think he's going to be able to blend right into their backcourt. And, and, you know, when, when you look at with the loss of daily with the guys they have, maybe there just weren't enough minutes, you know, maybe there weren't enough basketballs to go around, if you will. I mean, maybe the maybe uh, what they're going to have 
they also pick up another transfer, Colin Goss, uh, who, who's a, a 6'11 kid who can knock down some threes. So I think they've got the role players to go with some star potential. And uh, I, I'm a big I'm a big believer in Martin Inglesby's ability. He's kind of been dealt a tough hand in his first two seasons at Delaware, but I think you may see them make a make a significant jump this year. You had a crazy stat in Blue Ribbon where Ryan Allen took 28% of UD's field goal attempts on a team that already had Ryan Daly. That's insane to me. I think they were definitely lacking in depth last year, and it sounds like maybe they might have some more this season. Yeah, you're exactly right. They just didn't have the guys. As, you know, Martin is a real straight shooter. I always enjoy our conversations a couple times a year because he, uh, you know, the, he said we just didn't have the depth to uh, to play the way we wanted to on the defensive end. Guys had to conserve energy, had to uh, you know be careful about foul trouble, and then we just didn't have the scorers on the court uh, to to be very complex or interesting on the offensive end at times. Everybody knew that, that Allen or Daly pretty much or, you know, teams were doing everything they could to keep Carter from get, catching the ball in scoring position. And uh, he, he feels like he's going to be able to put lineups on the court consistently for 40 minutes this year uh, that, that have four and sometimes five threats uh, who can beat you in different ways. And, you know, if they can do that, they'll be just about like every other good offensive team in the CAA, and there's certainly plenty of those. Martin Inglesby, good dude. I think if I was doing, if we were playing pickup and I had my pick of CA coaches, either Martin Inglesby or Lou Rowe <laughs> is being my first pick. He's, I think, I think he's still got some game. Yeah, yeah, Lou Rowe would be, uh, you know, he scored a bunch of points up there in Harrisonburg for for the left-hander, and um, yeah, Inglesby would run the team, no turnovers, uh, you know, get. Everybody be very organized. Uh, I don't. I haven't seen his stroke. I don't know how many shots he can knock down uh, for you, but uh, yeah, Lou would. Uh, Lou, Lou would be would be tough inside. That, 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 those are probably the captains if we if we have a CA pickup game in North Charleston this year. Mm, I like it. All right, moving on again. I think I think these next two are are both. One of these three teams between seven and five is is my pick to make a jump up. But who you got number six? UNC Wilmington Seahawks are number six, and um, I agree with you one hundred percent. It's always the the muddled middle of the CAA is always so difficult to project and predict and try to figure out who's going to develop and at what rate. And they all three of those teams have some questions and some unproven guys. And, and Wilmington's start, you know, at point guard, losing Jordan Talley, who was uh, not only a, a four-year contributor and uh, really one of the you know tougher customers in the CAA last year and, a, and who became a good shooter and scorer, um, you know, they, they have to replace him. And, and they, they, have, they have a freshman who, who uh, C.B. McGrath, their coach, is very high on. And they have a couple other guys who, who played the position some last year but aren't really a natural fits. And so it's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, obviously, point guard is the most important position on any basketball team. And if, if they can receive consistent play there, uh, that, that could, they could really be a team you're going to have to keep an eye on. Kaycock is, is obviously a beast. We'll see what uh, statistical category he dominates this season. But, uh, I mean, Jordan, Jordan Talley to me is, is a big loss. Um, it seemed like he would be the guy taking shots late in games. So I think they might miss that. What do you think of UNCW upsetting Hofstra last season in the in the CAA tournament? Is that... Is that the UNCW we're going to see this year, or do you think that game was, no, was more of a No, I think that is uh, – well, a couple of things stand out about that game, and really the last month of the season is that, uh, you know, after a terrible start, especially in December, uh, McGrath did a good job of, of, of keeping the group together and working in the, the right direction and uh, improving on the defensive end because they were, they were abysmal um, really early on. They weren't giving up a hundred points to anybody anymore. Yeah, and, and you know, by the uh, by the second half of the year, they were they were defending, and um, still, you know, their offense was able to keep them in a, in a, almost every game and uh, put them over the top against some of the better teams in the league. So, yeah, I think that's certainly uh, their potential. But again, it, it stems, you know, kind of all comes back to can they find a reliable answer at uh, at point guard. 
uh, Kai Tavals, I think is the correct pronounce, pronunciation there. I may have just butchered that, but um, it is, uh, you know, it comes in highly regarded uh, from prep school and uh, native of Japan and prep school in Massachusetts last year and uh, high basketball IQ, kind of the, the kind of point guard that CB likes and, and that he can uh, run the team and push the ball and doesn't necessarily have to score a ton of points to help the team. So uh, he'll, I think he's probably going to have – I mean, it's a, it's a competition, but I think he's the guy that CB would like to see probably win the job um, and because he would have a four-year starter potentially at point. You know, I might have UNCW below Delaware – I think they have the better player in Kaycock, but for me, I just don't know who from that freshman and sophomore class is, is going to be, you know, a, a contributor. Is it, is it Ty Taylor? Is he, does he have the potential to be a second leading scorer? And, and some of those other guys who played sparingly last year down the stretch, I, I just don't know who from that group uh, steps up in order for them to, for, to get a, a buy spot. Yeah. They also have the, uh, the transfer of uh, Gentile Chilla, uh, Florida Atlantic, where he started 50 games in a couple of seasons there, averaged eight and a half. And, um, you know, 6'7", 215, definitely a, an offensive-minded player that they'd like to see improve a little bit on the defensive end. And, you know, has to watch foul trouble. But uh, they feel like uh, he's going to be a guy who's going to compliment Kaycock and step away from the basket and give them another double-figure score, uh, you know, on the uh, in the front court. And, uh you know, they need Taylor showed flashes, had some great games last year. Jalen Forns as well. There's some pieces there. Uh, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of potential, I think, on this team. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. Yeah. People are high on, on Scylla. Is that how you pronounce it? It may be. Gene Tall Scylla? Yeah, Scylla maybe. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a linguist. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. UNCW, you have them projected as sixth. Number five, I love this pick. Who do you got at five? JMU, the Dukes. Uh, basketball is a guards game now more than it's ever been, and I love Lou Rose young guards, and I love the way yeah. the Dukes have defended, even though the, the, the results have not been very good in two years, and uh, the – the close losses, there's been a number of close losses. You know, they've been on the wrong side of those games, decided by five points or less. But, man, they've got some talent in the backcourt. And it's not all young. I mean, Stucky Mosley's a veteran guy, fifth-year senior. And uh, and then, uh, of course, Matt Lewis and Darius Banks. I mean, you're, you're talking about a trio right there who can put up 50 points between them on any night. And the May average uh, is in that neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, we, we just talked about young backcourts with Delaware. JMU's got two guys who were on the all-rookie team last year, and, and like you said, Stucky Mosley is, uh, is a ball player as well. Here's I have them maybe as the most likely to come out of the middle there, and I'll tell you why. It seems like the progression of teams under new coaches goes through a couple different stages. Starts with being the conference doormat, which JMU was in, in Rowe's first season. Then you start to transition into team other teams don't want to play, which is, I think, where they were last year. And then you see that big jump where a lot more wins and you go from team nobody wants to play to maybe outside contender. And I I think that's exactly where where JMU's slotted to be this year. Uh, Those three backcourt guys, Devell Phillips is, is a good player, you know, lanky, athletic, big man. I think it's a I think it's a good team. It, it is, and and uh, you know Lou has no shortage of of pieces and options, and and he can wear some teams down with uh, you know he's got a bunch of guys around six 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 seven six eight that are all a little different, uh, you know, in body shape and skill set and what they uh, what they can do for you on the court and uh, allows you know JMU to match up, but they're they're you know, he, he's been pretty emphatic about uh, their def- defense being their uh, primary focus since he's taken the job and, and it's shown on the court. And, uh, yeah, I just think anytime you've got multiple options in the backcourt that you can put the ball in their hands and the, the end of a close game and in a league that uh, is full of close games, uh, I, I certainly I think anything, anything short of 10 wins in the conference would be a bit of a disappointment for JMU. I agree. 
Matt Lewis is really freaking good. <laughs> I, I think he's going to be a, a good player for the next three years. He, he just has, uh, you know, he, he has those intangibles too that you want. Uh, besides just being strong and athletic and, you know, a, a, just a good player all the way around, good enough shooter. Like he, he, he's a leader. He's the kind of guy who can get in the huddle and, and demand the uh, respect and attention, I think of his teammates and he wants to win. And, uh, it's, it's great when your best players kind of have that mentality and, uh, the, you know, it can be infectious in, in the best way. So I, I think, um, I think you know you're looking at a guy that could leave Harrisonburg in four years as one of the all-time greats there. I'll be excited to see what he does as a sophomore. All right, number four. I think everybody across the country has the same top four. So why don't you give me <laughs> who you have as, as the as the, are we getting into the contenders now? I, th- I think we're getting into the contenders. I right? think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I would put JMU right on the. The, the, I mean, they're peeking into the contender's room. I don't know if they can get in there just yet, but they're like knocking on the door and trying to slip in when nobody's looking. Uh, but I think certainly Hofstra, <laughs> when you have a guard like Justin Wright Foreman, and they are in our fourth, my fourth slot, the Hofstra Flying Dutchman, now known as the Pride, of course. Uh, Justin Wright Foreman uh, yes. is enough to make you a threat any night against any team anywhere in America because he can flat fill it up. I think he's had one bad game. It was here uh, last year when they lost to Wilmington. And I had a buddy of mine sitting courtside, and I said, wait till you watch this guy. And uh, Wilmington, to their credit, did a very good job on him that particular night. And uh, But otherwise, I mean, he, he's just been remarkably consistent and can beat you in so many ways. He's a beast. Definitely an, an all-CAA lock, I would say, barring injury. They lose Rokas Gustis, you know, top rebounder. Um big guy in the middle for for many years there i don't know though i think you know maybe they play a little faster this year gustis was a little little bit of a plotting center didn't offer a ton of rim protection or, or rim running eli pemberton's a good player jalen ray and and Desher Bowie are, are both good i think i think hofstra could can make another run you know they underachieved in the caa tournament but they should make it much further uh, this I year agree. too uh you know, the big question there, they're going to need, they've got a couple of options, uh, both transfer older guys uh, with some size, Jaquil Taylor and Dan Dwyer, who are, who are one of them, if not both, uh, need to emerge and, and just be a reliable player inside, you know, somebody who can defend the rim and rebound and um, play, you know, just uh, provide some physicality in there. Uh, I think Dwyer can step out and make a few shots, but um you know, as long as one of those guys can give them, can, you know, between them maybe fill that five position. Uh, they have certainly plenty of firepower on the perimeter. I love Pemberton. He's a guy that I would expect uh, to. I don't think he'll be first team all league, but I think he could challenge for it. I think he's that good, and you know, I think you'll see him be even more consistent as a junior. He's got the talent for sure. He's, I mean, he's got an, an NBA size and skill set. Uh, you know, if everything falls into place, people forget. The Pride also lose Hunter Sabetti, who was Gustice's backup, provided a lot of size in the middle as well. So definitely a, um, a void to fill in the center, but I like Jaquiel Taylor as well. Uh, I know uh, Mihalich is, is high on him, so uh, I think they can fill that role. Maybe they don't have the rebounding they did with Gustice, but they certainly yeah, have they the offense. They will be able to score. Uh, that's one thing Joe's teams have uh, shared ever since his days at Niagara. Uh, he's always had guards. He's always had teams that could put points on the board. He's kind of become, uh, I think, married to that zone now at Hofstra. In the last few years, you've seen them almost exclusively in that 2-3. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think they lack some intensity in that. Sometimes they get after teams a little bit in it. But I think that's going to be, and has been, anyone who has followed the pride will tell you that, you know, can they uh, – you know, they just have nights where on the defensive end they don't seem to uh, to to give to give their best, and uh, you know, and it yeah. makes you very susceptible to lose games on the road, and um, and it, it just uh, probably is part of the reason they have struggled down in North Charleston. I think that's a, a fair assessment. Moving on to number three. At number three, the William and Mary Tribe. Look coming off one of, if not one of the best offensive years in the history, not only of the CAA, but uh, 
I mean, college basketball shooting 50%, 50% from the field, 40% yeah. from three, and 80% from the free throw line as a team is just beyond ridiculous. So five games where they scored 100 or more, just multiple weapons, uh, interchangeable pieces, and a post player, Nathan Knight, who's as good as I've seen in this league at his size uh, in in recent years. I mean, obviously, David Robinson will and always has been uh, the the, uh, the measuring stick, the barometer, but uh, Nate – Nate Knight is, is a guy that has a, a very special ability and um, is just a nightmare, especially as he diversifies his game and, and, and adds more of a mid-range and perimeter element to it. Um, yeah, you got you got to keep the tribe under 90 somehow if you want to beat them, and it's not easy to do. The one word I'm keying in on that you just mentioned was interchangeable, and they do lose David Cohn and Connor Birchfield, but... I think they have enough guys to, to replace them. You know, David Cohn got, got guys a lot of open looks, but in that, that motion offense that, that Tony runs, I think, you know, the, the supporting cast of Milan and Pierce and Rowley, I think those guys can fill in, and you know, all of them can dribble, pass, and shoot. It's so hard to defend them when you're chasing guys around the court for 20 seconds, and then you run into a Nathan Knight pick and somebody shoots a three. Think I think they can be okay, even though they lose Cone. No, I agree. They will miss him. I mean, he was a uh, he, he was a heck of a player, not only for three years, but he really became the leader and 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 kind of the backbone of that squad last season. Uh, but uh, Tony's adamant, and uh, I have every reason to believe him that they will be better defensively at that position than they were. I mean, Cone was a bit undersized, and uh, it was easy for other point guards kind of operate over him and, and push him out of the way in the lane. Um, so, and, and that's where the tribe has to improve. I mean, they've kind of been stuck in this, uh, we're almost there, but we're not quite there. You know, one of the top tier teams without question for the last four five, six seasons, but not good enough defensively to be the champion. And uh, I think uh, they, they're obviously all aware of that and, you know, Tony, he, he said it very simply to me this summer. Sometimes you just have to go and recruit better defensive players because we had a lot of guys who were very skilled offensively. But we're going to, you know, we feel like now with the, with with kind of the, some of the new guys we've we have coming in and guys that are coming back that we can be a better defensive squad. That's always the question with them, and they uh, they can't be much worse. Uh, defensively, we'll, we'll see if they can get enough to uh, to finally make that push and, and get a CAA championship. Moving on to number two, uh, this should uh, don't piss off my listeners, Brian. Who do you got number two? <laughs> I've got the Charleston Cougars number two, and after uh, many hours of uh, contemplation there and, and back and a little bit of back and forth, uh, and, and and that's really um, a tribute to Joe Cheeley. As much as any as anything, um, I mean, uh, and no uh, no slight on the returning cast at all. Many of you know, I mean, it's extremely talented, veteran, experienced, deep group. But uh, I, I think uh, Charleston's going to be very, very good again. Uh, probably, uh, definitely the best front court returning in in the CAA, and uh, an excellent. Uh, I mean, Grant Riller's as dynamic a scoring guard as, as I can recall, you know, I just, the intangibles, I wonder, you know, um, but uh, certainly the, the capabilities there and the potential. And, you know, I've, if you're, if you're a Charleston fan, you should have all the faith in the world in Earl Grant uh, to be able to, uh, to mold this team in the, in the direction that it needs to be to, to cut down the nuts again. I agree completely. I think any CFC fan who doesn't have Northeastern at the top, uh, of the standings this year in the preseason is a hypocrite uh, <laughs> because if you if you if you go to cfcfans.com last season all the talk was you know we're bringing everybody back from the team that got uh, second place in the tournament uh, the team that beat us is losing their starting backcourt sounds a lot like the arguments that northeastern is making so totally okay with with cfc being second that's where i have them as well Joe Cheely is going to be a tough guy to replace. Uh, and Cam Johnson, versatile defender, vocal leader, hit big shots. 
he's going to be tough to replace as well. And uh, I'm with you. I think Grant Riller and Jarrell Brantley are all CAA caliber talents. And it's just going to be a matter of Marquise Pointer and, and some of the bench guys from last year, Jalen McManus, Brevin Galloway, Osinachi Smart, uh, what they give the team. Grant plays a pretty short rotation, so it's on those guys to, to come in and to contribute and step into those roles that the seniors lost. But I, th- I think they, they will certainly be at, at the top of the conference as well. Just the, the top-end talent is is too much. Yeah, I agree. They have a, a tremendous uh, combination of talent and experience, and they have good experience of uh, playing in the, the CA championship game two years in a row and winning it and playing an NCAA tournament game. And that's just, those things are invaluable, especially when you get uh, late in the, in the season and you're playing those road games in February, or you're going on a, you know, with the new, the new scheduling where you're, you're, you're going on a, you know, a, a two game Thursday, Saturday road trip uh, in you know, mid February and, and heading into the conference tournament. I mean, just having guys who have experience winning those tough games and coming through those situations is Look, this is a really talented team. I mean, you would if you were drafting CAA players, you would want a number of these guys on your squad. And, uh, I mean, Riller's incredible. And, and, and Brantley, I, I know the other coaches in the league must feel like he's been there about six years because he's been such an impact player uh, ever since he stepped on the court at Charleston. Absolutely. All right, that brings us to our number one. Shouldn't be a surprise, but uh, give us what you think of the Northeastern Huskies. Yeah, the Northeastern Huskies in a league that last season that was all about offense and one of the best offensive leagues in the nation, they were the team that uh, that really locked you down, so to speak, on the defensive end. They uh, they've kind of cracked the code, if you will, of modern college basketball or basketball in general, and that they, uh, they they're going to beat you badly behind the three point line, and they're going to score a lot of points on threes and they're not going to allow you to even take them and uh by doing that recruiting to that and coaching that way uh you know they they go into every game with a bit of an with a very good chance if not an edge over over a lot of teams and then when you combine it with uh again experienced talent uh returning basically their rotation from from last year's uh ca run to the finals and when you look at Cohen's ability and, um, you know, you look at the, the potential of, of people like Murphy who showed us flashes last year as a freshman. I mean, this is, and you know, they're going to be tested by a difficult non-conference schedule because uh, they always play one. Yep. I mean, this is a team that, uh, that checks all the boxes and uh, really if, if things fall into line could be in, uh, in line for a special season, much like I thought Charleston was uh, this time last year. It's their conference to lose. The swing, the swing guy for me is Murphy. You know, if he can develop kind of along the same path as Alex did, his, his older brother, and turn into a legit inside-out threat, I think he gives them uh, something they, they didn't have last season. I worry a little bit about the interior defense. That could just be because I saw Joe Chile and Grant Riller cut to the rim endlessly in that CAA championship game. But, um, you know, Sean Osius, conference uh, defensive player of the year, Bill Cohen, coach of the year, you know, one of the, the great coaches in college basketball. So I'm picking Northeastern to go all the way. And I, I just think what they have coming back is uh, is enough to uh, to win the conference. It, it really is. And, um, you know, so much of uh, is so much of the game is matchups. Uh, you know, when, when Anthony Green was in there for Northeastern uh, at times. Uh, he gave them a little bit of the rim protection and, and defense, uh, but uh, I thought Earl Grant did a great job in that title game of forcing the game, you know, of going small and forcing Northeastern to go small and uh, allowing his guards to, to make the plays that he knew they could make. Murphy's going to have to – he's going to have to step up. And, and Bolden Brace is a guy who, uh, you know, everybody remembers him for the 40-point game as a freshman at Elon, but he's really mm-hmm. proven he can uh, – contribute across the board he can help help a team win in a lot of ways and they're going to need him to do that on the on the backboards and 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 on the defensive end if they're going to uh, reach reach their goals and and kind of erase erase what happened to them there in the in the second half and overtime uh at north charleston 
I think that's a, a fair assessment of, of everyone. Let's jump real quickly into your projected award winners. So I've got my picks in front of me. Let's start with um, let's start with newcomer of the year. Uh, this is always a tough one to predict in mid-major land because you're you're often looking at grainy YouTube footage of guys. <laughs> but who do you have as your newcomer of the year? I went with Silla from uh, from UNCW uh, because I always like to put a transfer in this spot. I think I picked Matt Milan from William and Mary last year. And Good one. College transfer, and he averaged 13 points. I just feel like you, you know, it's hedging your bets a little bit because, as you said, you just don't ever know uh, when the light's going to come on for freshmen at this uh, level. And I feel like Silla's going to have every opportunity to play 25 to 30 minutes a game right away. And uh, he's someone who has shown at the division one level that he can uh, put the ball in the basket pretty consistently. So, uh, you know, CB is going to play an up-tempo attack there at Wilmington and he'll have, uh, you know, probably get a fair number of shots each game. So I think he'll, yeah, he has the, every opportunity to put up those numbers to be the newcomer of the year. Of course, the league hands out officially a rookie of the year, which uh, is only for freshman of the year, I guess, if you will. I think I think Silla's a good bet. I went back and forth with Jordan Rowland from uh, from Northeastern GW transfer, who's now eligible. Jaquiel Taylor, just because somebody has to fill in for Gustis and Sabetti. But I went I went homer on this pick because I tried not to be a homer for the next couple awards. I'm going Zep Jasper. Okay. I'm going I'm going Zep because Marquis Pointer is is nursing an injury. I think Zep might be the the day one starting point guard. He is. Two years removed from high school, had a, a post year at prep school, uh, and then a red shirt last year. But I know people are really high on him. He's a pure point guard, but has some some scoring ability as well. I think he's going to have a, a good mix of opportunity with that injury, and uh, you know I think he has the talent and the uh, the experience in a college program. So Zep Jasper is my pick. Uh, I think that's an excellent pick. I mean. Uh... Earl was quietly confident about Jasper's ability. You know, uh, certainly not uh, one to go overboard, um, but very, uh, very confident in all of his players at the same time. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that that shakes out and how long Pointer's injury lingers there uh, because there's only so many minutes. And and Earl kind of alluded to that. He knows he's got more than eight or nine guys, and he knows he's probably only going to play eight or nine guys at the same time. Exactly. Your all CAA first team. We have the exact same uh, lineup except for one player. So why don't you tell me who your five guys are, and then uh, you can take a guess at who the the sub out for me is. Well, it's impossible to pick five, and I told uh, uh, and I and I hate it uh, when when leagues cop out and pick six, but I did that with uh, my editor Chris <laughs> Dorch at Blue Ribbon, and I hoped he wouldn't notice it, but he did. I was, hoping, uh, I was hoping he'd forgotten how to count for a day, but he did not. There's, there's six very good players so, that, I, that I think are obvious. He yeah. held me back and said, you're going to have to, you know, you got to make a tough call here. And um, I ended up going with uh, Jarrell Brantley from Charleston, Devontae Kaycock from UNCW in the front court, and then Grant Riller, Justin Wright Foreman, and Vasa Pusica from Northeastern in the back court. And Nathan Knight, who might be the best pro prospect in the league, omitted. That is my. Uh, that is the one for me. I have Knight over Brantley. Unfortunately, there. You know, I would not be surprised if either of them uh, made it. But for me, I think for Brantley sharing the the load with Riller uh, versus Knight taking on maybe a little bit more with with the departed seniors there. I don't know. I, I gave a slight edge tonight, but again, it's it's kind of a coin toss between him and Brantley. No, it, it is. And um, Knight's going to put up monster numbers. He did last year. He's going to put up big numbers again. It, it, yeah, there, there's six guys. There's a six. There's six people that are. Um, and I even had the conversation with a couple of coaches, and who were who were happy to talk about players other than their own because they're the ones who have to figure out a way to try to slow them down. You know, a couple times a year and. Um, it, it, all of those guys, they're all a little different, but they all are extremely talented and valuable and integral pieces to their team's success. So 
be fun. It's going to be a fun league. Some great matchups. I mean, I love those Kaycock Brantley matchups and Brantley Knight and Kaycock. You know, I mean, they're they're just we're at a it's yeah. kind of a great time to be a observer of CAA basketball. Absolutely. Last but not least, let's do Player of the Year. I will go first because I think CFC fans are going to like your pick. I'm going to just go. Uh, it's tough to decide, right? I mean. You just said there's six really talented players. So as a default, I'm just going best player on best team and saying Vasa Pusicha is the uh, player of the year at the end of this season. He has to cut down on his turnovers a little bit, but I think he's going to put up monster stats on a team that should uh, be the favorite. So that is my it's, pick. It's a great pick. I mean, anyone who watched the, the CA championship game saw what a talented and fearless player that he is. Uh, I went with Grant Riller. Uh, I, I happened to be in Charleston last year for the game against William and Mary when he went berserk in the first half and was hitting shots from, I don't know, Mount Pleasant or somewhere. And, uh, you know, the synergy, some of the, the in-depth data re- revealed what a good defender he is. And Earl kind of backed that up in our conversation this summer that he had really enjoyed watching him develop on that end. And he certainly felt like uh, in his mind as a defensive-minded coach that Grant was was, was an excellent defender. And, um, you know, he, he's just so explosive with that first step, Riller, and he, and he, and he showed he uh, could consistently make the three-point shot last year. So I, I just think he, he could have a year where he really puts up some crazy numbers. I'm into it. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> Brian, I think we've got a, a solid CA preview here. Appreciate your time. Why don't you uh, give the folks the places where they can find you this season? Yeah, the easiest place always is Twitter at BG Mall there. I usually link to anything that I write or have going on. I'll also be contributing some over at collegeinsider.com and perhaps even The Athletic as we get later into the season when the games actually begin. And uh, we'll just kind of go from there. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, another another exciting season of college hoops and specifically uh, CAA basketball. We are too. Thanks again, Brian. We'll see you in basketball season. Okay. Thanks, Tommy. That's going to do it for my time with Brian today. Once again, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts and check out holycityhoops.com. We'll see you next time. Peace.